Till I'm Tiptoed You Dot com The podcast about pop culture Black history and spirituality Yeah It's about to be a great vibe Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Till I'm Tiptoed You y'all hey it's your girl tip and i have a question for you today what do american fiction one drop the bob marley story and tyler perry's mea culpa have in common well by the end of this episode i hope i can get you there if you do hear my name is dr tip i'm a scholar professor and life coach who works with black women using black history black culture and black spirituality you are tuned into the tell them tip told you podcast where i share with you all my musings about those three things so listen i had a movie weekend you hear all day saturday i just watched movies now i'm gonna i'm gonna give you the caveat that i did not watch uh mea culpa and i'm gonna tell you why um when i cover that section but i want to talk about those three films today and tell you what I think they have in common, or at least the lesson for this week is. So I'm going to jump in with American Fiction, which was probably my favorite of the three. Um, It's the one that spoke to me the most and did some things to me, right? Um, First of all, I'm going to try not to give you any teaser, excuse me, I don't any spoilers in this episode. I'm really going to try not to give you any spoilers because the first two films I think you should see. I'm not going to say anything about going to see the last one or seeing it, streaming it for yourself on Netflix. But I do want to address American fiction and encourage you to see it. Now, one of the flyest things about the film is that the protagonist's name is Thelonious. Oh, Lord, I can't talk. Thelonious Ellis. Oh, that's so fly. Because it brings together two different genres of black art, right? So you've got Thelonious, the musician, and then you've got Ralph Ellis, and, um, the author. And I just think it's a brilliant nod to our culture, which is kind of indicative of the kind of story it's telling. So the story is about an author. Um, his friends call him Monk, right, after his first name. And he is a professor in higher education. So, you know, no wonder it appeals to me, right? So this professor in higher education who hasn't published in a while, many of us know that pain, (laughs) who has not published in a while, um, is goes home to Boston to kind of reconnect, to visit family. um, And some other things are happening that I don't want to give away. And so while he's there, he really faces a dilemma um, about our responsibility, and I'm saying our in the terms of black artists, our responsibility to the collective, right? So the movie is about those internal struggles that we have, um, about our responsibility as artists creating things for the world. And some of you may know this about me. One of my favorite principles of Kwanzaa is self-definition, right? We have the ability to define ourselves for ourselves. And that's incredibly important to this storyline. Again, it's a beautifully done story. It's particularly powerful for those of us who have who are Gen Xers because of our age range. Um, 
it really hit close to me, uh, close home to me. Um, I cried through a lot of it because there is a passing of the torch that is happening to a lot of Gen Xers that I know um, personally, and it's happening to me, where we're beginning to have to inherit family leadership, right? The elders are getting older. We are getting older. And so there is a kind of passing of the torch that's happening. And I don't know that one can ever be fully prepared for it. So at the same time, this film is taking you through the the struggles of determining your ethics. <laughs> it's also taking you through the journey that some of us are entering because of where we are chronologically in our lives. And it made me think about what my grandfather used to say. He used to say, Every human is going to be once a man, twice a child. Oh, and, and Gen Xers who are listening to the podcast, you know what that feels like right now. Um, it, it can be rough. Um, and, but I think the main character in this film um, navigates with a kind of grace that's happening. Um, but again, the, the narrative of the film really wants us to think deeply about what my friend Vincent Willis said. You may have heard me say this on the podcast before because I think it was such a powerful statement and it's so Vincent. <laughs> it's so Vincent. And let me let me do a shameless plug. If you like history, if you like student activism, make sure you get Audacious Agitation by Dr. Vincent Willis out of University of Alabama. Phenomenal text, phenomenal piece of history. That's my shameless plug for Dr. Willis since I'm using one of his quotes. But, but Dr. Willis told me one time, we all hoes. Um, and he was saying that because I was judging someone, right? Vincent has a beautiful way of pulling you back <laughs> from foolishness. And I was judging someone and he reminded me as only he can that we're all hoes. In other words, we all have a price, right? We all have a price and we all have things that we're willing to sacrifice for. Um, I think this film reminds us that even when we're willing to pay a price, we are in control of where we set that price. Right. Um, so I don't want to get ahead. You know, I can get ahead. I want to do all my three things like I'm planning to do and then get you there. Um, I'm going to talk more about American fiction when you all have time to see it, because, again, I don't want to give any spoilers, but I really want us to unpack a lot of the stuff there. Maybe I'll do it on Instagram Live or Facebook Live or something like that before I do it on the podcast because I'm itching to unpack the art that's on the walls <laughs> in the film because I think, well, for those of us who are a little bit of a, a literature nerd, it's a frame story. So it's a story within a story. And I, you have to pay attention to the beginning and the end of not only scenes, but of the entire film. I think the end of the film is a bit obvious that it's a frame story, but at the beginning, you don't really know that as much. And so I think there are some, some you know, I like the Easter eggs. If you listen to last week's episode, I think there are some eggs in there um, that we can give attention to. So make sure you go see American Fiction before you... I'm, I'm going to uh, let you know when I'm going to do it. Because uh, again, I don't want to give any teasers or spoilers to anybody who may not have seen it. Now... The same day that I saw American Fiction, I don't know why I did this to my emotions. Y'all who know me know I'm a crybaby. <laughs> so I was crying all day yesterday. I got a bit of a headache today because of it. But I went to go see One Drop, the Bob Marley um, film. 
And I know that there has been a lot of back and forth in the media um, criticizing some of the choices that the producers made. But I want to say this. I went to go see that film because of what and who Bob Marley is for me. Robert Nesta Marley. Okay. I, since I was introduced to his music, have been enamored with that man. Um, And this film did a couple of things to me and for me. Some of which I'm going to talk about when I answer our original question. But some of it I want to say now. Part of the power of art is that it awakens our other senses, including memory. And there are some things that I had shifted away from so slowly that I wasn't conscious that I had slipped away from them until they were back in my face because of this film. Uh, and, And here's the superficial one I can tell you. If you follow me on Facebook, you probably saw this exchange. Here, and I, please understand that I know what I'm about to say is incredibly superficial, but here it is. For those of you who, who've been following me for a while, I have past waist length locks, okay? Um, I've been locked since about 2011, 20, yeah, about 2011, okay? Now, I cut my locks sitting at my desk <laughs> During COVID, all right, I just impulse cut them all off because I I, want, I felt like I wanted a change. I was sick of being in the house, just all of the above. And anyone who has cut their locks will probably say, what the hell? Because uh, I got a whole lot of what the hell are you doing type emails and texts and DMs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the moment I cut them, I regret it. And so I kept them. And about a year later, I had them reattached. Yes, you can reattach locks. So the locks I have now are the result of growth from 2011 till about 2020 and then from about 2021 until now. All right. Um, I'm getting to that length. Well, it's already I told you the first time I cut them, they were like waist length. They are now some of them past my butt. Okay. They are they're heavy. And because they're heavy, some of the thinner ones are beginning to pop. Those of you with locks, you know what I mean by pop. They they literally just get so heavy, especially when they're wet, that they, they just give up the ghost and they let go. And it's a hurtful thing. Every time I pop one, it hurts. I keep them because if you go to a real master loctician, they're usually able to reattach. Um, and I haven't had much thinning at the root. I'm afraid of that, um, which is why I was about to cut them again. This time not with the intention of reattaching, you know, just letting them go, leaving that part of the journey. It wasn't until I saw the film and and please understand that the film is not about hair. It it doesn't reference hair at all. Um, But seeing the film reminded me of all of the reasons I wanted to lock in the first place. And although I posted when I was leaving the house on my way to the theater, that I wanted people to recommend a good natural hairstylist who did bomb cuts and colors. By the time I was halfway done with the film, I was like, uh-uh, I ain't cutting my hair. <laughs> I'm not cutting my hair. Now, I said all that to say that's the power of art, right? That there are some things 
in good art that remind us of who we are, remind us of our journey, remind us where we could be, the potential, all of these things. I was flashed back to why I started my locks in the first place. Right. Don't tell my mama. But I actually lived with the Rasta for some time and ate ITAL and, you know, did all of those things. I never converted to Rastafari, but I very much, very much admire the faith. Right. I needed the film. I needed the film. But but let me get into what I wanted to talk about. That was a side note about me. Let me get back to answering the, this week's question. Um, there has been some criticism about the film because the lead character that's playing Bob Marley is not Jamaican, right? He's British. Um, and there is criticism that Rita's children are privileged in the film. Um, and there is no specific mentioning of the other women that Bob Marley was with. I'm choosing not to use names intentionally uh, for much the same reason I think the film was done the way it was done. That was a beautiful telling. Now, people have asked me my opinion. Should you go see the film? Let me say this. I don't know that you would get out of the film what I got out of it if you are only superficially familiar with who he is and what his life was. Right. If you are only superficially um, familiar with the music and with his legacy and what his middle name means, <laughs> if you and I'm not judging, I'm saying if you don't know those things then the film is not going to give you enough. Right. You're going to leave wishing you had more, which may be part of the intent, because now you'll seek out the documentaries, the books, the studies, all that kind of stuff, um, which I think you should anyway. But. I think it was very intentional that the movie is primarily about his ideology and his relationship with Rita, which I think very heavily influenced, very much influenced um, the music, right? Rita's the one who introduced him to Rastafari. So I... I um, it's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful film. And, and also, just like American fiction, it got me in my middle age feels when I think about what Rita sacrificed for the message. Like we often turn to him as this spiritual being, as this prophet who um, who changed lives. Right. I'm telling you that I didn't. I, anyway. <laughs> who changed lives through his his music. I think we forget that she was an integral part of that. And not only was she an integral part of the message that he was able to share with the world, but also in crafting the person willing to, to be the messenger. Um, and so I think in that way, it was a beautiful telling of a story. Um, I want to go on another side note for myself. When I tell you what, what art does, it pulls you back to memory. Um, I had a revelation. And so I'm saying this because I believe all y'all might be matchmakers. I am single. <laughs> Here's another shameless plug. I realized watching that film that I belong with an artist. Right? Um, some of you have seen the post. I, I actually was reposting it. I don't remember who I got it from. Um, a post about healers need a protector. 
So I need a protector, but I also realize that I need an artist. Um, there are some things, the way my mind works, I have ADHD. I'm a writer. Um, I'm a deep thinker. And because of the way my mind works, I realize that I can't be in partnership with people who don't get that, right? People who won't sit and think with me. Some of the most powerful film uh, scenes in the film for me were um, depictions of Bob and Rita's connection to the music and to the message and to one another. That, anyway, anyway. So that's one drop. Now, I told you the last film I wanted to talk about, I have not seen. So please understand that I'm using what I know of Tyler Perry's movies, what the reason why I don't watch them, and what I'm seeing people talk about um, in their review of the film. When Tyler Perry first uh, came on the scene with the plays, I, I did watch and I did find them very funny. In fact, in my family, we still have running jokes. For example, we call my mama Cora. <laughs> right. Sometimes we call daddy Brown. So we still have running jokes. And I think that was a really interesting period for black church folk, for black people that grew up in the church to have something made just for us that we got right um, at the soul level. Here's the thing that I think started to happen, right? With the, I think that because there was money coming in so quickly, and I'm not judging because a lot of us are capitalists, right? When the money started coming in very quickly, there was a desire to have quick turnaround to the next thing. And I think the storylines started to repeat. And um, Mr. Perry may have gotten a little lazy in the writing and the production, right? So I think that's what eventually did the stage plays in. Same thing... Once one or two movies came out, I was like, he don't like black women a whole lot. Like the the main character is always a black woman dealing with a flaw. Um, and I dislike it. I dislike how he writes successful black women. I dislike it. Um, I'm not trying to convince you to dislike it. I'm telling you what Tiffany doesn't like it. I think there is some pathology <laughs> in how he writes black women. Um and, and specifically our relationships to black men. I think that because of maybe some of his personal um, experiences, he may be painting all of his characters to be hurt by one another. And I, I don't I don't I don't really like to indulge in taking in that kind of media if I can choose not to. Right. So that's very much like the Risa Tisa thing. I got 15. I'm not going to lie and tell you I didn't watch it. I got 15 parts in and I was like, this is too much for me because I don't want to ingest. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me get let me get back to Tyler. Now, judging from the reviews I'm seeing on social media, I made the right decision because a, a lot of you are saying that there were glaring plot holes that as, as well as the movie started, it finished equally as poorly um, that, you know, it just didn't make sense that she's supposed to be a high priority attorney and part of the plot deals with a court case, but there's never a courtroom like these kinds of things. Couple that with I just uh, saw the article where Tyler Perry was speaking about using AI in future films and I'm just rolling my eyes at it all. All right. So are you ready to answer this week's question? Because this is how the three things go together in my head. So the original question was, what do American fiction one drop the Bob Marley story 
and mea culpa have in common. And I think for me, the lesson this week is about the power of story. The power of narrative. I'm going to remind you that last week I told you Wade Nobles has one of my favorite quotes, and that quote is, power is the ability to define reality and have other people believe that that definition is real. And I think that because of how power works, marginalized people generally and black folks specifically need to be very strategic and careful about story, right? To me, that was part of the message of American fiction, that there is a narrative being crafted about who we are. We either participate in the narrative as it's currently written, or we purposely enter the narrative to shift and change it. Right. I think that's what I was getting at when I said Vincent's quote, we all got a price. What are we willing to do with the narrative we've been given? Now, here's what I mean by the narrative we've been given. Um, My best friend Brandon and I were having a conversation the other day about hip hop and he was saying how misogynistic hip hop can be. I agree. We're both hip-hop babies, and we both love hip-hop, right? That's one of the things that keeps us close, sharing good music. Um, But what I said to him is I don't think hip-hop is uniquely misogynistic in terms of music in general, Black music specifically. I don't think it's unique in it. I think what has happened, though, is that the people control with the, the production and distribution, importantly, Um, are saturating the market with a particular narrative. Not that we don't have artists who are making revolutionary shit, but that the revolutionary stuff doesn't get the radio play, doesn't get the streams, um, isn't produced by these bigger companies, um, and is therefore not as available to people as other kinds of music. And because of that, the narrative about hip-hop is being controlled by not necessarily hip-hop itself, um, not necessarily by hip-hop artists, but by people outside of the community. And we have to be careful that when we're ingesting hip-hop that is controlled by outside of our community, that we are conscious and aware that that narrative may not be our own. Right. That when we are dissecting story, story is so powerful. Um, That's why I said what I said earlier about black art. Um, Story is so powerful that we have to be very careful when we're ingesting and we're using it. I want to read you a little bit by Larry Neal. One of my favorite periods of black history is the black arts movement of the 60s, 70s. Um, And Larry Neal wrote what I think is one of the quintessential texts about it. It's called the black arts movement and it's in drama review in summer of 1968. He wrote it in three parts. I always read um, from the very first part to my class to get them interested in the rest. But he says, quote, the black arts movement is radically opposed to any concept of the artist that alienates him from his community. The movement is the aesthetic and spiritual sister of the black power concept. 
As such, it envisions an art that speaks directly to the needs and aspirations of Black America, right? It speaks directly to the needs and aspirations of Black America. In order to perform this task, the Black Arts Movement proposes a radical reordering of Western cultural aesthetic. It proposes a separate symbolism, mythology, critique, and iconology, And then he he talks about um, black arts and black power concept both relate broadly to the Afro-Americans desire for determination and nationhood. Both concepts are nationalistic. Here's here's another powerful point. One is concerned with the relationship between art and politics. The other with the art of politics. Listen. American fiction. I'm glad I watched that first yesterday. Right. Because it really set the stage for me to think deeply and critically about the narrative that exists around black folk. Right. And who benefits from that narrative. So let me give you two documentaries to go look for. They're kind of difficult to find. I think one is on YouTube now. Maybe. Um, both of them you can get from California Newsreel. The first one is Ethnic Notions. It's a little bit more academic. And the second one is Classified X. It's a, it's more contemporary. But both of them deal with images of blackness as put forth through American pop culture and film. Um, I think it's important to what I'm trying to say. When we become lazy consumers of art, particularly art that depicts us, someone is telling us who we are. And Toni Morrison reminds us that definitions belong to the definer, not the defined. So when we are allowing other people to define what our reality is, we aren't. Right. We are. We are giving it away. What does that have to do with the Bob Marley film? Well, part of the criticism is that Rita and her children chose not to privilege other women in the telling of the story. Well, the beauty of story is the storyteller gets to control the narrative. Right. And if they are telling the story, who is most important? I think that's real main character energy. Ain't that what the kids say now? What the young folk talk about? Main character energy. Plus, the focus should be on the man and his ideology and the music, the sacrifices he made. That's, to me, what the story is that they're choosing to tell. And because they're the ones telling the story, they get to choose how they tell it. That's the power of telling story. You choose what to say when you are, when you are the writer, right? American fiction, you get to choose the narrative. Some of us are frustrated that they're telling the story from their perspective. The frustration shouldn't be there. The frustration should be on one, do I have to, to consume this narrative? Or two, do I create my own? Right? We should never be passive consumers of story without critiquing it. So I'm not telling you not to critique it, but I am telling you to remember who the, who the storyteller is and what they gain from telling the story the way they gain it. Which brings me to the last film, which I chose not to watch. There is something about a storyteller who doesn't care about the quality of the story. And I would say it's a cultural. 
I would say it's acultural. And what I mean by that is that's not usually how black folk get down with the story. You go to the barbershop, them some storytellers. <laughs> and it's quality, riveting. You're going to be on the edge of your seat. You're going to feel like you know the characters in their stories. Because they care about not only the story that they're telling, they, they care about the narrative they're shaping about themselves, and they care about their relationship to the people. Risa Tisa. Now, as much as I think you foolish for watching all 50 parts, that's over five hours. And that's, that was some trauma porn. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. That was some trauma porn, and I hope you could not or that you found it difficult to get through off it. I'm not judging you if you got. Yes, I am. I'm wondering why you wanted to hear all that. We knew he was a lot. I'm telling you, I'm admitting to you that I think it's shameful that I stayed for 15 parts. Because I don't we didn't need past five to know he was a liar. So what were we getting out of? We cannot be passive consumers of stories, my point. What were we getting out of the story that we would sit through five hours of pain? Why do we need five hours of pain? Will we sit through five hours of joy? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Anyway, back to my point. Let me let me read to you the sentence again that has to do with uh, Mea Culpa. Neil says, The Black Arts Movement is radically opposed to any concept of the artist that alienates him from his community. Now, what would make an artist choose to be writer, producer, and director? That's what the credits say. And have as many plot holes as you did. Do you not care about community? Why are you writing a black woman attorney who's supposed to be powerful and smart in the way that you chose to? Are you alienated from that particular portion of your community? Why are many of your films and TV shows half-assed? What do you care? Do you care? Are you conscious about the narrative you're giving your community about itself. Now, I can't tell. I wouldn't. I can't. I don't have the power nor authority to tell somebody what to do with their art. However, what I'm saying to you, my dear listener, is that please don't be. I don't think we should be passive consumers. I think we should always be asking ourselves, who's writing this story? Who benefits from this story and in what way? And so other than financially, what's the gain from the the story? Even with these three, what is the gain? What is what was the motivation? Right. I'm a literacy scholar. I teach my students. There is no such thing as a neutral text. There is no such thing as neutral art, particularly for people of color, particularly for marginalized parts populations, specifically for black people. There is no such thing as art for art's sake. That's what Malefe Asante tells us, that we have to be conscious consumers of narrative. Now, here's the point that I really, really want to get to before I let you go. I told you earlier that Kuji Jakalia's self-determination is my favorite principle from Kwanzaa. There is a story that we write every day about who we are. 
We tell it in our words. We tell it in our body language. We tell it in the works that we do. Somebody is reading you, my dear. What do you want them to take away from it? Not only is somebody external to you reading you, you are writing a story that even yourself is observing. What do you want that story to be? We shouldn't be passive in in the creation of our own narratives. That's what I got from this week. How about you? Leave me a comment. What did American Fiction One Drop and Mia Copa have in common? Am I spot on or am I off? Have a good one, y'all. Tell them to told you.